Growing and scaling a business is complex. It can be very scary and lonely trying to navigate it all. It comes down to the community of trusted people you surround yourself with. Let's dive in to the Business as People podcast. Welcome back, everyone. I'm super excited to have a good friend of mine, but also a really great business colleague who is Lynn Whitney-Turner. She is formally trained as a business coach, facilitator, and people analyst. So Lynn focuses on the core of business, people and culture, making them stronger and more agile so that they can stay competitive in today's ever-evolving landscape and lead in change, innovation, and creating better experiences for all those involved. Lynn believes that without a strong core, the best strategies and action plans will be difficult to execute, wasting precious time, money, and energy. So Lynn, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here, Com. And you know, when you've evolved into, because you have all this extensive background, then you end up starting your own firm. What was the passion to you to start Core XP? Yeah, great question. And I appreciate it. What happened quite honestly is during COVID, you know, I knew it was a traumatic experience for a lot of us, right? It affected many lives and livelihoods in in negative ways. However, For me, I actually found an opportunity to explore. And there were a lot of organizations out there doing really amazing things and offering a lot of different types of learning. So in that moment, I just started soaking up all of this new learning and new experiences that were offered at that time. And it really ignited something in me. And that's really what started core. And the term core was very deliberate. In my past life, I was a certified personal trainer and aerobics instructor. So anyone that deals with fitness understands the importance of core, right? When you have a strong core, that makes you stronger and more agile. And when I started thinking about it, I'm like, those are the exact same principles that are needed for organizations, especially today. In part of the learning, there was a term I got introduced to, it's an acronym and it's called VUCA. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term VUCA. Um, it's- um, I have not heard that. <laughs> it came out of the military and it actually came in the 1990s at the end of the Cold War of all things, interestingly enough. The acronym VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And if that doesn't describe our current environment, I don't know what does. And it was really for me about helping organizations create that strong core. Because to me, a strong core means what are your core values? What do you stand for? You know, what is that core mission and vision that you're after? What are your core strengths? What are your core principles? Once you have that foundation, then you're able to move from there and become more innovative and pivot in the moment. And that's really what's needed during this time of VUCA. What you're doing is so vital. I think that's relevant right now where a lot of businesses, all different sizes need this type of coaching and consultation. What are you hearing or seeing as a trend right now that's really the most concerning or challenge for businesses and leadership? Well, what I'm seeing is I think because of everything that we experienced through the pandemic, organizations 
are realizing, like I said earlier, that they need to be agile. And leadership really, you know, most of the, the progressive organizations recognize that they really need to lead with empathy. There was a study done by Gallup, and, and they, they continue to do the same study of what followers are looking for from their leaders. And they identified four themes that came out of this. And they surveyed tens of thousands of individuals about what followers are looking for from their leaders. The four themes were trust. They want to trust that you are taking care of them. They want to trust that you're making the right decisions, that you're heading in the right direction. So they're really looking for that trust. The other thing that they're looking for, they're looking for compassion. They want to know that their leaders understand what they're up against sometimes and with resources within their organization, some of the challenges, but also some of those external challenges. And right now, supply chain issues are a huge issue for organizations. So getting the raw materials in to make some of the materials, make some of the products that organizations, it's a real challenge. So it's about really, does leadership understand everything um, that their followers or their employees are up against. So having that compassion. The other thing is stability. They want to know that they have a job at the end of the day. It's about that safety and security. It is that stability piece. You know, are you taking care of that? So they do want to know that the organization is financially set so that they have something to return to. And the other thing is hope. I think we're all looking for that. And that ties to your vision. Is it aspiring? Does it inspire your workforce? Where are you headed? Are you giving them that hope? So those are some of the things, but it's really about is leadership leading with heart and leading with empathy. And you, I know we've talked about this offline, like the emotion piece of that. Where does that play into effective leadership and, and culture? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. Really? Um, well, I ask the question a lot of times to organizations and different groups, human beings, are they logical beings with emotion or emotional beings with logic? And there's only one answer. It is we are emotional beings with logic. I don't care what anyone says. And it depends on how close we are to something as to how emotional we get. So sometimes, yes, if somebody's far away from something, they can be less emotional and be more objective about it. But sometimes the closer we get to something, the more emotional we get. And we may not be making rational decisions. And in business, that's key. And in some organizations, you've got people with conflicting views that they're going up against. And that can be a real challenge. And it can pull apart a team. And so that team that you have, if you have a cohesive team, that is your competitive advantage right there. It's really not your product or service. It's the people in your organization. To me, and that's part of core, I believe that the core of an organization is your people and your culture. And culture, in the words of Peter Drucker, who is a famous business guru, he said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So your culture can either help your strategy or it can hinder it. And literally, I just did a session yesterday and I posed the question to the group. 
how many organizations successfully execute on their strategy or vision? Any ideas? I would say 10 to 15%. Yeah, there's a lot of different <laughs> studies out there. It's actually anywhere between 10 to 33%. So they say that 33% successfully execute or, or execute on there. And it's that 10% that successfully do it. So you, you were kind of spot on there. Very similar worlds. We see it too. So maybe, maybe I have a little bit of insight on there. Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping that you're going to prove me wrong. Uh, I have uh, a different data point that was higher. <laughs> <laughs> I did show them the 33% to make it not look so doom and gloom, but I did show them the 10% as well with the success, the, the hugely success rate. <laughs> so people are probably wondering, okay, why is it so low? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things that go into it. And, and I asked the group that yesterday, I mean, what gets in the way of strategy? And, and there's just so much to it. There's so many barriers. There's the internal challenges. I mean, sometimes we don't have the right structure with our systems, our processes, things are inefficient. Things don't talk to each other, whether systems or people, you know, when you add the people piece to it and, you know, if divisions are competing against each other and not competing in a healthy way, that can get in the way of it. So there's just so many different things and it's about peeling those layers so that you can identify where are the breaks, where are those gaps. And a lot of times too, the other piece of this quite honestly come is a lot of organizations aren't even spending quality time on strategy. They said, I think it was 56% of strategic time is wasted. And sometimes it's on bickering or whatever it is. I literally this week, um, working with a financial institution in the mid-Atlantic, and they're away yesterday and today for a strategic retreat that they have not taken in about three years to really dig down into strategy. And, and they've had many challenges. There was a merger and an acquisition. A lot of the leadership team, they don't even really know each other. They've been working remote. There's so many different challenges. For this particular organization, they were under a um, consent order. So that puts a negative shroud over the morale. So that, like I said, there's just so many different things that can hinder it. I mean, it's especially over the last couple of years, as we're seeing the challenge with the pandemic and businesses are evolving, they're reevaluating the stress testing their existing strategy, which hopefully they had in place. If it's a five-year, 10-year plan, but then they have to evolve that. And then they have to do kind of like more like quarterly or annually strategies and then break them up into sprints. So we see this too, like, you know, helping business trying to figure out their growth plan. That's why there's, there's a lot of synergy with the type of work that you and I do. Yeah. I think a lot of it is, not clear in defining the priorities and almost like making too many changes versus like staying true to the process, let it finish. It's a, it's a, it's a marathon. Right. And a lot of these sometimes C-suites are looking at sprints. They just need to get there. Right. But sometimes you have to do sprints. Like you, cause maybe things are happening where like, we don't have the time. Time is not our friend. So what do we do here? And that's okay. But everyone has to be aligned because what happens, it might be an urgency for one department, Right. but it's not the others. And then there's like this 
this downward trickle effect that's negative. And then now culture is disrupted, you know, revenue and just like, no, it's people at the end of the day. Now there's like, okay, I didn't know this was happening. Right. And what's going on? Why is there chaos? And so it just turns into a storm. I'm sure what you do is try to help guide and clarify like, okay, what's going on here? And let's kind of make this more easier and clear about what next steps look like. So when things are kind of chaotic like that, like what's your approach, Lynn, to try to control that chaos? Yeah, it is going back to core, right? So your core values for organizations, they need to be very clear about their core values. Because to me, those are the guardrails for making decisions. And everybody has to be on board with those, right? So it is about making sure everybody's clear on those guardrails for decision-making and the objectives, where you're heading and where you're looking to go. So you brought up that clarity piece and understanding too, not every department benefits in the same way, but there has to be commitment. And that goes back to the trust. You know, I do a lot of teamwork and utilize Patrick Lencion's pyramid for teams and trust is foundational. If there's no trust on the team, that doesn't allow for the opportunity for healthy debates. He calls it conflict and sometimes conflict just puts up the flares for people, right? But it's really about having healthy conflict. We don't always need to agree on everything, but we need to have that opportunity and feel safe in doing it. And that kind of goes back to the emotion, emotional piece of it. He talked about, what was the term now, with, with the teams, artificial harmony. And that's when people just smile and nod, they're sitting around, and it looks like they're in agreement in that meeting. But meanwhile, in their head, they are not, and they walk out that door and they're doing something completely different. So building the trust is key, and I'm spending a lot of time there with organizations, making sure that trust is built on the team. We have been spending time with that organization I just mentioned to you about building the trust because the team didn't know each other. They were remote. Like I said, it was a merger acquisition. You had a lot of new people on the team. You had people from one organization, from the other organization, but they really didn't know each other. And when you don't really know each other, how can you trust each other? I mean, the, the concept sounds so simple. Right. So what, what's the disconnect? Sounds simple, but we human beings are complex, right? There's many layers to the human being, as you mentioned earlier, I'm certified in people analytics, and I do a lot of different assessments, assessments on behaviors, on motivators, on attributes, and now into emotions. And that emotional piece is key because the emotions are what drive our decisions. And then our decisions, our thoughts drive our behaviors. So it's making sure too that we're in alignment and that we're being authentic to ourselves in that regard. And, and we feel safe in being our authentic self. And when you get a team that trusts each other, can have healthy discussions and debates, then you're, you're more apt to be able to gain commitment um, from each other and hold each other accountable. They say there's nothing more powerful than peer accountability. We don't wanna let each other down. And people really wanna make meaningful contributions, but sometimes they may not be the right fit for the organization. And that's okay. 
but it's about recognizing these things. But human beings, we're very complex. And that's what I think creates some of the challenges. What are some examples? Because like, I think people hear, hear it all the time. Yeah, of course, everyone wants to build that trust within cross-departmental and peers. So what are some exercises or examples to foster that, that you do? Yeah, yeah. I recently done an exercise where I've showed them 10 trust traits or behaviors. Some of them are like, be honest, uh, be transparent, be vulnerable, make sure to right wrongs. You know, so there's these 10 trust traits that I show. And I asked the group, so if you have a group, so this is an exercise that you can actually do. Have the group look at the trust traits and write down, they have to write down one, each of them is given an index card and they have to write down the one that they feel is most important. And if there's one that's not up there, write that down, whatever you feel is the most important trust trait. And then we kind of do some exercises where they exchange the cards with three, it depends on how big the group is, but you exchange the cards with a couple times and then they, they partner up. They have to tally it up and make sure that it tallies up to seven. So like say somebody had Waco Taco, for instance, and another person had be vulnerable. Well, Waco Taco might get a zero, but be vulnerable might get a seven. So then we see how many sevens that they have you know, which traits have the sevens, which have the six, five, four, et cetera. And that way they can identify the top two traits for at least that group. And why is that important? Because typically that gives indication of what might be missing in that group. That's why it's so important. Yeah, it's customized to the group or to that culture, right? Are there certain patterns that you're seeing that doesn't matter what group or culture you're in that you see that it's a repeatable result? Transparency seems to be coming up a lot. And, and it's interesting too, because if you, I like to use when I'm dealing with trust, I like to use Stephen Covey's trust tree because it's a really great visual for individuals. And I find People do the best learning when it's visual, right? People typically, you know, somebody's just blah, blah, blah. They're not soaking in a lot of that, but if they can see something visual, it really makes a difference. So the tree in relationship to trust is really helpful because he breaks down trust into character and competence. And within character, there is integrity and integrity is the roots of the tree. So that's below the surface. And we don't typically see that, but those are like the values of the individual. Are they honest? Are they fair, etc. Then the next layer up is intent. And they put that right at the surface level of the tree because sometimes people make their intent known, but sometimes they don't. So it's right at that surface level. And that's really where the openness and transparency comes in. And then moving further up the tree is the competence. And the competence, they break down into capabilities, which are kind of the branches, which is about your experience, your knowledge, your skills. And this is where behaviors comes in as well. It's how you do what you do. And then the fruits of the tree are the results. And that's what creates credibility 
right are your results. So understanding that model really helps people. But you ask the question, do I see you know, something reoccurring? And it is about that transparency, making clear your intent. So when you go back to trust in that trust tree, making sure that that's clear to people, because sometimes we assume everybody knows what we're talking about, where we're headed and all those things, but it ties back to the transparency and the clarity. I think you talked about clarity earlier. Those are some key pieces. I mean, I think every organization, of course, has the right intent, right, Lynn, but they have books or policies, they have things written on the wall, it's all written, but yet there's Mm -hmm. still a disconnect. So I'm assuming, you know, it's the delivery of the actions, right? So let's say someone's listening, well, we have all this stuff, we've done all this stuff, it's still not working. So what's the issue? We think the issue is there. If they were like, hey, we share core values, we do these trainings, we support, we've done all this stuff, but there's still a disconnect. And another great question come because we run into that a lot. Yes, they've got the things posted on the walls and, you know, have all of the visuals pieces of it. And that's great. Those are great reminders. But are you really walking the talk? Do the actions reflect the words? And if you look at culture as an iceberg, look at your organization like an iceberg and, and With an iceberg, only 10% is above that surface line. And that's everything that you just talked about. Those are the strategies. Those are the vision, the mission, everything we talk about, even our values, the plans, all of it. So that's what people see. But submerged below the surface of that iceberg is the rest of the iceberg. And that's really, so this is uh, above the iceberg. That's how we say we do what we do, right? That's what we tell people we do. But below the iceberg is what we actually do. And those are different behaviors. Those can be different rituals and traditions. And that's where culture eats strategy for breakfast. That's where the culture lies, is really below the surface. Because the culture is about how you behave at the end of the day. That's how you behave. Yeah, it's doing it versus just saying it, right? And also having leadership and everyone else, you know, it's a ripple effect. So you're seeing not just leadership team do eventually everyone across the organization. And then it becomes, you know, like a habit and a ritual. Through osmosis, you're seeing it. So What's the typical time range that you see that type of transition happen where things are flowing? Like how long does it take for organizations to, to create this new behavior, right? Because they want to get it. To, I, I feel like I, the analogy is like working out, like you got to do it a few times. And you, yes. I think it's after like 27 days, I think they say, then it becomes a habit. So what is it like for organizations who are working on it and they have the intent, but it's just taking a little longer. So what's the expectation for them to start seeing results? For them to start seeing results. And, and you gave like a great analogy and I love that. And, and that's my background is fitness. It's like, I'm the coach and I'm the facilitator, right? But you're the one that has to lift the weights at the end of the day, you know, as a personal trainer, I'm just, you know, showing you the exercises and holding you accountable. But at the end of the day, you're the one that has to do the heavy lifting. And it's the same with organizations. So the first thing is really, are they committed? Is it just lip service? And and there's a great quote about, you know, for leadership, uh, are we too busy looking out the window and not looking in the mirror? 
you know, we can point out what everybody else should be doing, but are we doing that? You know, and, and quite honestly, I don't like to work with organizations that are just about lip service. If they're not willing to do the heavy lifting as well, then it's probably not a good fit. So there has to be commitment behind what their intentions are. So it's not just stating the intention, but are you committed to that intention? And if they really are committed to it, I mean, they can start to see results in about three months, really. As long as everybody's committed and rowing in the same direction, things can happen fairly quickly. But it's when they run up against the roadblocks. And you brought up earlier, you really brought up a great point about sometimes people abandoning the plan, right? And doing it too soon. I, I had an opportunity um, to see Alan Mulally speak. And Alan Mulally was the former CEO of both Boeing as well as Ford. And just, he's really, um, he's not like your typical command and control type of individual CEO that you think of. He's just very kind of laid back. So there were a couple things about him and I'll get back to your holding on to the plan because that was something that he mentioned, but the audience, somebody asked him, what keeps you up at night? And here was his response, which I thought was really awesome. He said, nothing. He said, everybody knows what's expected. So I sleep fine. And he said, you know, we make sure people, so it's about that transparency, going back to transparency and the importance of it. So, you know, if somebody's not pulling their weight, well, they know that they may not be here much longer. As he said, you can't manage a secret, right? So it's about bringing these things out to the forefront. Again, I'm reinforcing the transparency piece of it. The other thing that he talked about is he's got a one-page plan. It fits on one page, everything about the plan. And he said, when things start going you know, crazy, and like we talked about this world of VUCA, hug the plan, hold on to the plan tighter, see it through. And you know, that's, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Great by Choice by Jim Collins, but they talk about the 20 mile march. And that was with the race to the South Pole. And it really was about that consistency, consistency of behavior in order to get to where you want to go. So what happened was there was a race to the South Pole. One individual did 20 miles every day, regardless of the weather. The other one, they marched ahead on the really good days, which I can't imagine there's really great days down in the South Pole, but, and then they hunkered down on those terrible days. Well, what happened was they ran out of food and perished, sadly. They made it to the South Pole, but they never made it back. The other group that did tw the 20 mile march, 20 miles every day, they made it down and back, I think even before they had anticipated Wow, it's just such an interesting story. Is it because they stuck to the plan or is it their approach? Both, you know. both. It was, you know, they had a plan and, and they stuck to it and they were disciplined. It was that discipline of doing the 20 miles, the consistency of it. And do you share that story often with, you know, like clients that you're working with, 
That's actually, for me, that was really helpful to visualize that, right? Because I think there's a lot of movements and, and tactics and strategies yeah. and deliverables, but like sometimes you have to have these like really good stories to get the point across. So, you know, what, what other analogies of stories, Lynn, do you use to kind of really make sure that it's crystal clear what needs to get done? And I think that's the important piece. And I think, you know, I'm a very visual person. It's more helpful for me to be able to understand something in a visual sense. And that's why I use a lot of, when I do facilitations, I like them to be more visual. I use Legos, had to hold back a little. And you saw when we did the the, uh, Lego serious play, but when people can build something and talk about that and what they've built in a visual sense, it, it solidifies it in people's brains, right? You had asked for another example what was Samsung. Several years ago, the head of Samsung went on a tour. And I think this is really important for leaders, for actually everybody in an organization to go on these inspiration safaris, if you will, to get out and see what's going on outside of your business. But for him, he wanted to see what's happening with his products, you know, in the mainstream. So he had gone to a store and they were showing him product. They didn't know who he was and they were showing him product. And, you know, they said this GE brand was way up here on the top shelf and his brand was way down on the bottom, the bottom shelf. And he was like horrified by that. And he went back to his plant and said, I want to be GE. I don't want to be bottom shelf. I want to be top shelf. So it was creating the visuals for them so that they understand what does that mean? Because sometimes we have these visions, but they don't make sense to people. But if we can put a visual behind it, it can sometimes be more helpful. I think the other takeaway there is also like getting the qualitative feedback versus the quantitative. Like you might see sales, but there's deeper reasons why either sales are going down or sales going up, or just like performance is going down, going up. When you talk to people internally, your team members or externally consumers, you get more context and insight, right? And it's like, why is it that people are not perceiving our brand and they're putting us on the lower shelf, right. what's going on there. And I think for, for leaders to be able to go and like do that, it's great because it's a different perspective, but it's also reality checks. I think sometimes you get a lot of policies and strategic marching orders, but then it, it doesn't hit reality when you go to like middle management and, and workers. And that's something even we're doing here internally, our agency, like I'm going in and getting involved more. And it's not like micromanaging or spot checking. It's like, you know, it's getting data, it's qualitative data and research to just holistically understand what's going on so that you can make adjustments and then really hear the truth, I think, from your own team members, which goes back to, I think, if you're building that culture, they're seeing leadership is involved and they care versus just being in a boardroom and asking why the numbers or performance aren't there. So love to get your take on that, Lynn. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you you bring up a a great point and a few things are going through my mind right now. One is the head of, not the current CEO of Costco, but the prior CEO, he would spend a lot of time in his stores, in his facilities. 
And I mean, they pay huge attention to consumer behaviors. And there is a specific reason why they only have, you can only choose from one or two ketchups, okay? They're not putting out this whole array of, of different products and choices because what they found was if you give people too many choices, it's confusing. And the walk around and walk around and then they'll walk out with nothing. But if you can just narrow it down, narrow down the selection to maybe one or two, maybe three items, the chances are better that you will make a sale. So, you know, it's really paying attention to consumer behaviors and decision-making and, and being clear on that. But you look like you wanted to jump in. Oh, it's just, <laughs> a, as I'm hearing this story, I'm like, seeing my wife does this. She'll do it with the kids, but she applies the same theory to me. Very limiting to a couple of choices to not complex it so we can just move forward. Yeah. So it's almost like a human psychology thing, right? And then it makes it easier to, you know, because yes, yeah, so if you have too many choices, I mean, the kids can never decide what to eat exactly, or, or if it's a snack. I'm the same way too. I think we, we overanalyze and it makes it streamline and uh, more, more efficient. And one thing that, you know, I really started paying attention to is how can we make it easy for people to do business with us? I think if organizations really start thinking about it, sometimes we make things as humans, we make things way too complex sometimes. And it's about really breaking those things down and making them simple. The other thing, just going back to Costco and how he spent a lot of time in the stores is it is important for leadership to get out, get out of their office, out of their boardroom and see operations to really, and this goes back to the compassion piece, what followers are looking for. They want to know that you understand what's involved with their job. And they say everything breaks in the middle, right? And when you think about that, that's middle management. Middle management is dealing with pressures from the top as well as pressures from the bottom. They're trying to get your frontline employees to do things, but they're also trying to appease, you know, upper management. And so they talk about things breaking in the middle and your middle managers are trying to manage both ends of it. And if they don't have the understanding from that top level of what's involved in their role, then you're doing a disservice to them and to your organization as a whole. So it's really about making sure people understand what's involved in the process. And just because something worked in the past doesn't mean that it's the best process or system moving forward. So I think it's that constant evaluation of what we're doing, how we're doing it, because things are just uh, evolving quicker than ever before and will continue that way. I think you mentioned before, maybe not in this, but just in conversation with me is like that innovative mindset. So does that play into what you were just saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I just did a session, you know, so we talked about change, right? Everybody's going through some sort of change in their organization and change, especially right now with the great resignation, people are coming in and out and that's creating change. And that creates stress for people when people come onto the team, new people come onto the team, that creates stress. When people leave the team, that creates stress. And when that's happening constantly, those are pressure points for people. And in that time, 
and I'm bringing up the great resignation because that's what's happening right now. Orienting people to your organization is key. They have to understand, again, going back to what's your core? What does the organization stand for? Are they aware of your core values, your vision, your mission, your core strengths, all of that? Have you properly oriented people onto the team? Because if you haven't, then the trust issues will come into play. And typically when change is imposed upon us, more times than not, it creates a negative emotion, whether it's fear, whether it's anger, whether it's defensiveness, whatever it is. And when we're in that negative emotion, it narrows our thinking. We become a little more closed mind and resistant to things. So if you can move people into, you know, if you look at the thinking on a continuum, if you can move people more into that open thinking, into that abundance mentality, if you will, then you'll see innovation. And I just did a fun exercise with an organization yesterday and they said, wow, this was fun. You know, when people are having fun, that creates positive energy and creates better morale and people want to have fun. We spend how many hours at our job? And if it's, you know, just pushing the pen and the cog in the wheel, you're not going to get as much out of people as if you're creating inspiration and fun. And uh, this time has just like flown by. I'd, I'd love to have you back to kind of go deeper in some exercises or, or things that you're doing to dive maybe a specific challenges. But before I wrap up, really want to know what is it that you're working on now and how can people get a hold of you? Sure. Thank you. Yeah. One of the big things that I'm working on is, as I mentioned, I'm involved in people analytics. I do a lot on behavioral work, motivations, and a lot of those assessments are cognitive. I'm now working with a new uh, assessment. It's called Agile Brain, and, and I'm happy to offer it to anyone um, that's listening to this complimentary, and I'll send you the information afterwards, come, so anyone that uh, contacts you or me can access this information. But it's Agile Brain, and it's tapping into the emotional levels of individuals. So it's not like the other assessments. It just flashes pictures really quick, and you just snap on the ones that resonate with you. It's really quick and kind of fun, takes maybe three to five minutes. So I'll send you information on that. Again, they can contact me at lynn at corebusinessxp.com. And again, that's my website is corebusinessxp.com, but I'll send you the information with regards to Agile Brain. Well, that'd be amazing. Yeah, I'll share that. We'll put in the notes and we'll send it out to, to everyone. So Lynn, thanks so much for everything. Best of luck. Um, really appreciate what you're doing to, to help, you know, culture and people, because that's really you know, the core of everything. So I can't wait to see you to next time. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. I really appreciate this opportunity. And I appreciate all that you do. You've been a really great comrade and a lifeline. So I appreciate it. It takes a village. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. If you have any questions and topics you'd like us to cover, please email me at podcast at or message me on LinkedIn.